Exploring the natural world, one podcast episode at a time. This is For What It's Earth. Hi, all, and thank you for joining me for another episode of For What It's Earth by me, Marissa of the Art of Ecology. Here, nature enthusiasts, animal lovers, and eco-warriors can discover and explore so many facets of the environment we all love and some creative ways to make a positive difference for the planet. This here is my season one finale. So in order to go out of 2021 with a bang, I have brought back this season's guests to participate in a super crazy, absolute insane nature trivia game show. Say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Rules of the game are, first, in order to minimize the chaos and general yelling over top of each other, We are going to go in an order. So one person is going to start, choose their question in this like Jeopardy style game. If they get it right, they get the correlating points. If they don't, the next person in order can try to steal those points. If no one gets it at all, no points are awarded. And to be perfectly honest, Getting on the board's probably going to be a challenge. All of these (laughs) trivia questions are specifically designed to be absolutely weird and wondrous and don't include your scientific or environmental background. So hopefully we all learn something today. (laughs) The categories are, number one, R-layer rocks and rubidium, which include questions about rocks, soil nutrition, and minerals. Number two. Murders, (laughs) flamboyances, and obstinacies, which include general animal wildlife questions. Number three, enclosed in cellulose, which includes questions about general plant knowledge, not specific trees, though. Number four, attempts at survival, which includes questions about specific adaptations that aid in either plant or animal survival. And finally, we're all in this together, which includes questions about the ways that humans impact the environment or how various facets of the ecosystems are connected. So Sam, since you were the first guest on my podcast, you get the wonderful advantage. I'm going last. (laughs) Going first. Rocks for 100. Rocks for 100. What body system can we compare soil and the organisms that live there to? A, the nervous system. B, the vascular system. C, skeletal structures. Or D, the digestive system. I just, I was like, oh no, what's happening? (laughs) This is a legit question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The digestive system. Ta-da! What, really? What? The digestive system. That is not what I would have guessed at all. Correct response is D, the digestive system. So as little soil microbes are all going around their business, earthworms, it's all this organic matter that then gets composted and eaten and shredded up and digested to be used as nutrients for the plants. So yay, good job. All right, so Zach, you are next. Oh, you know I'm going murders for 100. Murders, flamboyant. That was going to be what I started with too. <laughs> All right. 
What is the most illegally poached and therefore threatened animal in the world? A, sharks for their fins. B, elephants for their ivory. C, pangolins for their scales. And D, snow leopards for their fur. Uh, my gut reaction is, uh, truth be told, every single one when you said it, so I'm going to go with B, elephants. <laughs> pangolins are the most endangered of the, of the bunch of them. Yes. So... I figured that would, I didn't know they were the most poached animal, but I knew they were the most endangered of the ones on the list. Yes. What are, uh, what are pangolin scales used for? Medicine. Medicine. Yeah, it's medicine. A lot of uh, folk tribalism, uh, wards and amulets and mm -hmm. things that aren't actually scientifically proven to work, but okay. mm -hmm. yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. kind of I learned something new today, everyone. Mm -hmm. That's the point. I'm Plus going same two. category for 200. Same category for 200. Groups of animals often have a name, flock, herd, murder. What animals belong to the group names in this category title, murder, flamboyance, and obstinacy? Birds, crows. Crows is for murder. What is for flamboyance? Oh, oh, that's it. Flamingos and obstinacy is... I'm trying to think of a really... Stupid bird that lives in a group. A, a really stupid bird that lives in a group. <laughs> pigeons? It is not pigeons, but you did get murder being crows and flamboyance being flamingos, right? I will give you one third or two thirds, Matt. Okay. Of those points, Sam, you have the ability to steal. What is an obstinacy? Egrets. Not egrets. Zach. I don't, I don't before know. before you say it, I want to guess again. You don't have to give me the points. Okay. But. <laughs> Zach is also incorrect. Yeah, you, you really what did you guess? Fans. It's not toucans. <laughs> nope. Is it is it penguins? Nope. Nope. In fact, oh. it's not a My bird second at all. Guess. Oh, oh you not? tricked us. Oh, you did. <laughs> I understand how this game works now. Okay. I was, I was on the same way with you, Molly. You were I thinking all you said, birds. You said category, <laughs> so I said, oh, they're all in birds. Okay, an obstinacy of... Oh, God. All bets are off now, man. I don't know. I can't Puppies. think of a... No. What's obstinate? Hyenas? Some sort of cat. Nope. I don't know. What is it? What is it? I need to know. Oxen. Oh. Sure, yeah. Of course I knew that. I was just testing you all. It's alliterative, I guess. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's alliterative. Oxen are very obstinate as well. That's, this is true. Yeah. Uh, let's do that one. Let's do survival for 100. All right. The African spiny mouse has extremely thin skin. Literally, if they get injured, how do they avoid dying? And it has oh, something okay. to do with their thin skin. If they get injured, this adaptation allows them not to die. Yes. Okay. With thin skin. Oh no. <laughs> uh, I can't even think of a good answer. Well, the first thing I was thinking of, I was like, oh, well, their skin is thin, so it looks almost transparent, so they're just kind of see-through. Okay, <laughs> it's camouflage, 
Only the skin is. Oh, uh, sure. <laughs> not not camouflage. It has nothing to do with their appearance. So after Sam is back, can you steal? Oh man. Okay. They have extremely thin skin. So I'm gonna guess that extremely thin skin, which allows them to do what to avoid death and predation. Or if they get injured. So if they get injured, their thin skin allows them to do something that keeps them from dying. Yes. Um, let's, their, um, solar-powered batteries that are under their skin more (laughs) access to sun and therefore able to heal more. That's gotta be it. (laughs) I got it. So here's the funny thing, though. What? Um, I'm gonna give you half the points. What? It is has nothing to do with solar powered but they heal faster right yes yeah it it it, 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 it their skin is so thin that it heals very quickly yes due yeah. to having a super thin skin their cellular structures can regenerate at an absolutely insane hmm. rate because they're <laughs> spiny mouse so it's a spiny mouse so obviously it's, it's like a wolverine mouse and they have like a wolverine healing factor <laughs> that's it it's sure yeah. exactly right. maybe that's what he's based on whoa <laughs> there you go zach you now have 50 points i'm on the board Woo! um i'm gonna do we're all in this together for five hundred. it boy for 500 500 go big or go home my yeah. dude <laughs> i gotta pull ahead of the herd decomposition is vital for planetary health what is the largest decomposer in the world so are we talking like an organism that is the largest or like the the species that does the most decomposing? The individual that is the biggest, the, the physical biggest. I'm going to say it's some kind of fungus. That is correct. It is mm-hmm. some kind of fungus. It's the one that's like massively big and lives underground, right? That's like all one big connected the gigantic big rings, fungal right? thing. Like Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Area. It is in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, the one in the, near the redwood forest. Yeah. All right. It is called, funnily enough, the humongous fungus. Yes. Uh, or the shoestring fungus because it's very thin and spready. They live in Mahler National Forest in Oregon. One single individual covers 2,385 acres, or roughly 9.6 square kilometers. Damn. So it's a massive, I, massive Good organism. job. Good job. All right, well, I got to catch up to Zach, so I'm going murders, flamboyancies, and obstinacies for 500. Whoa. For 500. Let's go. What is the most abundant vertebrate animal in the world in terms of population? A, humans. B, tan bristlemouth fish, C, black ants, or D, honeybees? Well, two of those are not vertebrates, so. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them is very small. <laughs> I, I'm going to be real. I think the fish is a red herring, but I also don't think that humans are the most populous animal in the world. <sighs> the fish. I'm going with the fish. It is the oh, tan bristlemouth yeah. fish. It is I told you I was catching up. I'm going to catch uh, up. <laughs> good job for, for catching the vertebrate versus invertebrate animals there. That's why I was like, 
specific here. Nicely done. Um, I'm trying to help y'all out a little mm -hmm. bit, make it a little less challenging. Um, but yeah, there That's cool. is I didn't know that. a species of super, super deep ocean fish, the tan bristle mouth fish. And they are one of the main prey species for a majority of deep ocean and mid-ocean animals. A few have been caught. They're very small and are very fragile, especially once they come up to the surface. So it's really hard to study them. But scientists believe that this is the most populous vertebrate animal in the entire world due to the fact that it is a huge food source for so many animals. That's right. Are you sure honeybees don't have backbones? <laughs> and we're going to move on. <laughs> it is Sam. Very good. Thank you. Not a risk taker. <laughs> how about how about rocks for four hundred? Rocks for yeah. four hundred. Okay, that would pull you into a significant tighten that tighten that gap. Yeah. Right. The oldest discovered vertebrate fossil was remarkable due to what specific feature, other than the fact that it is the oldest one. A. It had a face. B. They were able to find that it had lungs. C. It had legs, or D, it had a space for a brain, a brain cavity, as opposed to having just nerves called neural ganglia. So when you say lungs, like legit lungs, not just the ability to breathe air. Right, that this would have been the first thing that was known to have lungs as opposed to osmosis or right. whatever other mechanism there was. Gotcha. Hmm. I'm going to go with have a face. That is correct. What? Oh. This was a type of like weird fish uh, that was found. It looks like just a rock. This weird fishy creature was called the Entelonathus primordialis. And it is the oldest living creature with a face. So we know that it it gave rise to a whole bunch of other vertebrates, including us. That's it so was cool. discovered in China and is over 419 million years old. Good job. Uh, let's see. Um, I'm going to go enclosed in cellulose for 300. What is the botanical difference between a fruit and a vegetable? Oh man, I'm about to embarrass myself so hard. I don't know this. Um, I okay. I do think it has something to do with the way they reproduce. Um, I think it has something to do with like the location of reproductive organs. Um, in terms of what? What do you mean? I'm going to say f one is like, in not that they have internal, <laughs> yeah, like one's internal, one's external. I mean, not like, not, not like, <laughs> pass to me, a pass really to long, me. really long, awkward pause. <laughs> I apologize. Um, okay. So, is it doing some reproductive structures? No. 
It's a location thing. Um, yeah, one of them. I know you know, Molly. <laughs> um, one kind of loosely reproduces only on weekends, and the other reproduces uh, on weekdays. Wow. <laughs> All right then. <laughs> Molly. Well, so fruits are. Aren't they like the swollen ovary of a flower? They're like a they're a piece of a flower, and vegetables don't exist. They're just roots and stems and and leaves and shit, or junk. Excuse me. <laughs> you <laughs> so, are correct. So PG. Okay. <laughs> roots are from a flower. So the flower, you know, once it gets pollinated, it's fertilized and it produces the seed. And vegetables. That's not a botanical name, like Molly said. So botany-wise, vegetables aren't a thing. We just call it, this is a stem plant. This is a root plant, but it is a culinary term. So things like celery being the stems of the plants, mm -hmm. carrots being the roots, and lettuces being the leaves. And some vegetables are fruits, like tomatoes. Culinary-wise, yes. Yes. <laughs> yep. All right, but I do oh, believe man. that was a stolen question. Yes. So, Molly, it's my turn. to go again. Um, attempts at survival, 500. Oh, dang. Usually, oh, no, it's plants do not want to kill their <laughs> pollinators, yet this plant kind of does. What plant, native to the east coast of the United States, including Pennsylvania, kills its fungus gnat pollinators? Um, I'm just going to read them out loud. Jack in the pulpits, skunk cabbage, voodoo lilies, fleabane asters. I think it's skunk cabbage, right? She says, B, skunk cabbage. Ah, ah. Incorrect. However, skunk cabbage is pollinated by flies. Okay, they don't kill it. Them. Okay. All right. Sam, you get to try to steal. I have a one that I'm, I keep going to, and I don't know if it's right, but I'm going to say Jack in the Pulpits. That is correct. Ooh. They nice. produce the smell that attracts fungus gnats. However, as a fungus gnat crawls inside, if it is a male Jack in the Pulpit, it rubs up against all sorts of pollen as it tries to find the nectar. It finds out, wow, I can't find the nectar. It does not exist here. And it tries to get out. In the male flower, there is a tiny little tube in the back that the gnat can crawl out of, now covered in pollen. It mm -hmm. makes its way to a female flower. And gets eaten. Then trying That's to cool. find the yummy uh, pollen and nectar, or the yummy nectar, rubs the pollen grains all over the female reproductive structures, but there's no tube for the gnat to escape, and it dies inside of this tube-like or pitcher-like flower. That's so cool. Wild. It is hard Savage. to Savage. Yeah. Rob, Sam, you stole that. Dang, Sam is now in the lead with 1,000. Murders for 300, she said. Murders for 300. List the seven classifications, taxonomic classifications, of animals. You don't have to say, you know, Nepanthes 
species, you know, you don't have to do that, but what are the seven categories? I'm now I'm super struggling. No, this doesn't have to be Canis familiaris, but you know, Canis is there what? Familiaris is there what? And then there's seven things. Wait, what? <laughs> okay, so the levels of classification. Yes. Is that what you're asking me? Oh, yes. Wow, I was way off track. Not I mean, I'm going oh, order. We're oh, not getting, oh, oh, I don't oh. want you to like list. That would be insane. That's the bonus points for this question, though, is list all of them for a certain animal that I believe I gave you a hint for. But all right, I feel a little better. I don't think I'll get all of them, um, but we'll see. Uh, genus, species. Yes, I'm in the right direction now. Yes, that's that's what I'm looking for. I couldn't okay. actually give you the example because yeah. order you an answer. Yeah, root. Okay. There's an acronym for this, and I don't remember it. <laughs> you have four of them. I know. <laughs> Phylum. Yep. No, oh, no. <laughs> Subgroup is Subgroup a classification. <laughs> I'm just the seven main ones. Can you guess the two that you're missing? No. No. I okay. don't know. There's two more. So, Zach, can you steal the last two? All right. I got them all, baby. You ready? Okay. Kingdom. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, phylum. Yes. Yep. Class. Yes. Order. Yes. Yep. Family, genus, species. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. King's Play Chess. Of course, on once you say it, I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. Good job. So the the way you remember it is, what'd you say? Kings play chess on fat gray stumps. There we yep. go. Now, bonus points here give me the taxonomic classification of a puppy dog. Canis? All of them. Oh, all of them? All mm -hmm. of them. No. All right. Animal kingdom. Phylum. Uh... uh class. <laughs> so Sam, you are going to get 214 points for that. Because we do random Jeopardy here. Nice. And Zach, you get 84 points for that. <laughs> I didn't know them all though. <laughs> you did, but you only stole two of them. I did say Animal Kingdom as well. So do I get bonus points for no. getting one of the <laughs> Yeah, no, no. <laughs> that is just bonus. Mm -hmm. Oh, what is what is it though? It's uh, animal, mammal, um, um, animal, mammal. You have skipped over. Did I skip family. some? Animal, yeah, vertebrate, yeah. animal, vertebrate, mammal. Um, okay. Canidae. Uh, you skipped one. Did I skip one there too? Animal, vertebrate, mammal. Carnivore, yes. um, carnivore, canidae, yes, uh, canis familiaris. Dang, you get them bony, bo bony <laughs> points. Bony points. Yes. Molly bony points. Molly gets bony points. <laughs> Molly gets That's what I'm here for. <laughs> bonus points. Oh goodness. Mm -hmm. All right. So just an update of where we're at. Sam is in the lead with 
1,214 points. Good job, Sam. Zach is in last place Pulling with 634 rear. points. Woo! And I'm Molly going. is in second place <laughs> with 1,050 points. So that goes to Zach. Um, let's embarrass myself some more and go enclosed in cellulose for 500. What group of plants is the most poached in the entire world? I'm going to be honest with y'all right now. I did not really ever think about plants as poachable. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't either. Of plants. Most people aren't. And this is not group taxonomically. This is just um, like if you said this type of plant. So if it were a tree, if I said like maple trees or something like that. That is a okay. good example, but it is not maple trees. But I'll yeah. let you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, what group of plants is the most poached in the world? Okay, in the world. Most and that's poaching, as in like illegal harvesting, like people going in and taking it for a purpose illegally. Correct. Okay, uh, that's interesting. I never thought about that. Is does, is flowers a group? I would ask you to be a little more specific because there's a heck of a ton of flowers out there. Okay. Hmm. This would be really great Think if like I knew. maple trees, not yeah. trees. This would be great if I knew anything about flowers. Um, if um, it is a flower. But that's what I'm saying. It needs to be a little more specific. Okay. Flower. I'm going to say poppy. Oh, poppies. I get why you say that, but yeah. that is incorrect. But okay. poppies are, uh, that's where morphine comes from, baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is not poppies. That opens up a whole new world of ideas, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> though that I was it's not be for a reason. <laughs> I was thinking mushrooms, but that's too general. And that is also not a plant. Also not plants. Oh, you're right. You totally <laughs> so right. Molly, you can feel though. Orchids. Not an orchid, but mm-hmm. again, those are very endangered yep. and very hard to come by. So I can see why you'd say it. Mm-hmm. Sam, can you steal? is tropical flowers is that too broad mm-hmm. that is a, a little broad but it is not tropical flowers either it's um, the hallucinogen plants it is not any sort of drug-inducing plant they are carnivorous plants what? especially venus fly traps and people plants. love them and wow. they're weird yes. and they don't breed well in captivity right correct yeah oh. It is extremely difficult to grow these from seed or to grow them ethically. So there are people who say, hey, I found it in the wild. There's this bog I live near. I'm going to harvest them myself. It doesn't cost much money to dig up a plant, but you can sell it for an insane amount of money. Hmm. This is very interesting because this is a very big thing in the reptile keeping community where there's certain species of reptiles that more than likely if you see one that was wild caught like for certain species like um euromastics which we have um almost all are wild caught up till recently you know fire skinks like kevin's fire skink most of them used to be wild caught yeah that's i never thought about it in the plant context that's so cool yeah that's Mm -hmm. the interesting thing most people don't most people just think about poaching as an animal or wildlife thing but you can have endangered 
living organisms of any type. Um, I'll take the last murders, flamboyances, and obstinacies. All right. For 400. What are the two closest relatives, genetically speaking, to humans, sharing 98.7 of our genes, 7% of our genes? Uh, chimpanzees and orangutans. You are wait, correct. Wait, not the orangutans. Chimpanzees, bonobos. Oop, it is chimpanzees and bonobos. Primates are very, very closely related to us. These two specifically are the closest relative. All right, I well do done. have bonus points though for this. Most chordates or things that have a vertebra mm-hmm. share a ton of genetic similarities. That's just vertebrates. Now we can go even farther back to just animals and we still share a ton of percent of our DNA. What percent of our DNA, Molly, is shared with slugs? I don't know the exact, it's gotta be. That was 98.7, right? That we share with um, chimpanzees and bonobos? I'm going to say like 98% still, like about 98%. That is incorrect for the bonus points though. Mm -hmm. So you will get your 400 points for the question, but Sam, can you steal the bonus point? 36 and a half percent. Wow. That is incorrect. It is somewhere between those two. Zach. I'm going to guess 82%. That is incorrect. It's like 97, 96. No? It is 70%. 70%? I thought it was way more than that. Did I get bonus points for being closest? That's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Nice try. You did (laughs) a valiant effort. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sam. Mistaken. I'm going to go rocks for 500. Rocks for 500. The deep biosphere, which lies between the crust and the core, is dubbed as a subterranean blank due to its incredible amount of biodiversity. Is it a subterranean A, Eden, B, Metropolis, C, Amazon, or D, Galapagos? I'm going to say Metropolis. No. Zach, can you steal? All right. I know it's not Petropolis. I really don't think it's Eden. I think it's either Amazon or Galapagos. Oh, man. Subterranean Amazon has a way better ring to it than Subterranean Galapagos. So I'm going to say C, Amazon. I'll I'll say Galapagos. That is correct. <laughs> no, Zach, you gave too much background info. I know. No, I knew it was one of those. I knew it was one of those two too. If, if, one, if, if he got it wrong, it was the other one. <laughs> yep. It is the subterranean Galapagos. And while Zach, you would think would have been correct, since the Amazon rainforest does boast the highest biodiversity in the world, the answer is D. Galapagos because it is not just very richly diverse on the Galapagos Islands, but all the species, yes, are Mm -hmm. endemic or only found there, which in the deep biosphere, you are going to find 
a lot of animals that you and organisms and fungus and things like that that you are not going to find anywhere else in the world. Mole people. Wow. <laughs> yes, you're not going to find the underminer people anywhere else. <laughs> Let's do attempts at survival for 400. Nice. Many birds and reptiles pee solids. Ouch. In the form of uric acid. Which mammal has the Ooh. ability to do this as well? Is it A, Allegheny rats, B, Maasai giraffes, C, Dorcas gazelles, or D, the vicuña? What's a vicuña? <laughs> I don't know like what that a is. weird llama, alpaca sort of thing. It sounds like In the a Chilean really... mountains. All right. It's, it sounds like a really cool D&D monster. Um, it does. I think it's, uh, what mammal pees solid uric acid? Um, uh, I'm going to say the vicuña because it sounds cool. Ah, it is not the vicuña. Molly. I don't know this one. Um, what <laughs> I don't know this one. Uh, well, you got three guesses, yeah. Um, giraffe, ah, no, damn it, damn. Oh. I want it to be the gazelle because I just love gazelles, but I feel like. There's such similarities between gazelles, like the B and C and D are like the most similar and then A is so different. Hmm. I'm gonna go with the Allegheny rats. Y'all think way too much about this. That is incorrect. What? No, Sam. I should have just called my yes. first guess. Yep. It is the Dorcas gazelle. Oh. They live in like super desert and oh. have no ability to lose any ounce, any tiny droplet of moisture at all. So they eat a ton of desert plants to absorb as much moisture as possible. And then they keep all of that moisture inside them and only pee out the solid waste matter. That's cool. That's what, that's what, what most desert animals do. I'd never heard of that type of gazelle though. So I didn't know they lived in a desert. It sounded awesome. It does. Dorcas I'm gonna look up a picture. Um, I'm going to go at attempts at survival again, 300. Okay. What does a woolly bat, a Nepenthes pitcher plant in Borneo, have to do with toilets? We got all the, the pee and poop questions out right away. Toilets. What do they have to do with toilets? Are they both from Borneo or is the pitcher plant from Borneo? They are both from Borneo. Okay. Are they notorious for ending up in people's toilets? I have no idea. That <laughs> what? Is not correct. I, I can't imagine that. how a plant would end up in a toilet, but I don't. <laughs> no, all that illegal I'll, poaching. I'll pass. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, they just throw them in the toilet when they don't want to get caught <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for poaching. <laughs> okay, Sam. I have no idea. Is it? Does it have to? Is it just the toilet, or is it other aspects of using the toilet? Straight up poop. That's different, though, than a toilet. Oh, to do well, a poop? 
it is it is to- I mm, you will find out. Okay. <laughs> it All right. has to do with toilets, but also poop. I assume they don't poop in toilets. Oh. Um I think I have another one. Is it like the way that they dispose of their like waste? Is it this is it similar? Go into a little more detail with that. Uh no. <laughs> I don't, they Not they so as in the individual <laughs> organisms. Wait. Say that one more time. <laughs> they, as in the individual organisms, dispose of their waste in a similar matter. Um, they they release their waste through a tube. I don't know. No, you got farther away with that one. Mm-hmm. I, you're so you're close, but there's a there's no, a, it's got to be something part. specific. I know, but I don't know that. I, I don't know what it is either. I, don't... I believe that an Nepenthes pitcher plant in have to do with toilets. And Sam said the way they dispose of waste. That is what she said. And our, our game master wanted clarification on they. They. They dispose of waste. Okay. They're like uh, girls and they go to the bathroom together. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump on you, but I didn't think that was great. Yeah, they, um, uh, bats and pitcher plants have to do with toilets. In the way that Sam's got it. I, no, I have an idea that might be right, but I didn't think of it. Um, I had something too, I don't They, their liquid and solid matter, uh, goes to the same, exits the same place. Nope. The same plumbing. Nope. Nope. Good try, though. The, they flush the opposite direction in the other hemisphere. That was the yeah. first thing I thought of when I saw toilets. <laughs> no. <laughs> they spin the opposite way. All right. No one was able to steal, but do you, Sam, you look like you might have come up with an idea. Does the woolly bat dispose of its waste in the pitcher plants? That is like a toilet. God. Uh, you didn't guess that in time to steal, but that's the cool. bat is attracted to the pitcher plant. The pitcher uh, part of the plant tapers and allows for room above the digestive liquid so the bat can actually go inside of the pitcher plant and roost there in the daytime, and it poops in the pitcher plant like a toilet. It provides the plants with nitrogen and... The bat can stay clean and fresh. That's rad. So these bats roost inside the pitcher plants? And poop there, yep. Okay. Just clarifying. It's so cute. You guys should look up a picture of a woolly bat in a pitcher plant. Oh, so That's so cool. Sure. That's so adorable. Precious. I love bats. Yes, bats are awesome. They're adorable right. little stupid faces. Molly, so uh, Sam... Uh, we're all in this together for 300. All right. Been neglecting. Mm-hmm. We have been. All right. There are many remarkable conservation success stories. Which one so far is the biggest? A, reticulated giraffe conservation in Kenya. Mm. B, 
African elephant conservation, C, California condor conservation, or D, Don Redwood tree conservation across North America? The biggest, as in the most successful. Correct. So starting, you know, from the smallest number of individual species. Has gotten to the biggest. Right. Does it matter what stage of their development they're in? In terms of like, like a young in to a big in? No, it does not matter. <laughs> hmm. Maybe, how about the California condor? That is correct. That is correct. Good job. It. So the California condor has been so far the biggest success story in the fact that um, they were able to take these, these birds. There were like, I could count on my hand. There were like many, 10 left. There were only 10 left. Mm -hmm. And now they're up the thousandth chick hatched, I believe, in 2019. So that has been the most exciting conservation success story so far. That's where they developed um, a really important husbandry technique also. Um, I don't know if it's where they came up with it. Like they might have had the idea before this, but it was like the biggest success of a specific husbandry technique where they take because birds, when they hatch, imprint on whatever they see first, and they were specifically making sure that these animals would be releasable, they couldn't raise them on their own, but they couldn't let the parents raise them either because they needed to, they would steal eggs from the parents, so they would lay another egg quicker and hatch one in private and keep doing that incessantly. So that's where they developed the glove that looks like a bird head technique to feed the babies that's the that was their like pioneer of that technique and they still use that for all zoos that are trying to raise birds that's to you uh we're gonna go we're all in this together for 400 baby nice all right what is one of the biggest implications and reasons for humans to conserve wildlife besides the fact that we just like animals uh, biodiversity is good for the planet. Why? Uh, because that was too big an answer, I suppose. That was too big okay. an answer. Uh, one of the biggest implications and reasons for humans to conserve wildlife. Um, I'm going to say that greater biodiversity leads to, uh, greater success, um, in each individual species. Uh, which leads to greater success of all the species. Is it still too big? And no, no, it is not. It that is, is not correct, though. <laughs> uh, but if that gives you any idea, like that, that is a great reason, and we should absolutely be conserving species because we're all connected. We are all in this together. But there is a very specific implication to humans specifically. So what I'm hearing is I get partial credit. No. <laughs> I tried. So I, what I'm hearing is it's my turn, right? It is your turn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so 
greater biodiversity leads to greater planetary health, including our own health. Because if we if we lose a certain bug or microbe, we could lose all of the food that we have or uh, medicine or um, what have you. We can't if we any any deforestation could lose us all our oxygen. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's if we have if we lose biodiversity, then we lose food and oxygen and wellness for ourselves. It does have to do with wellness and health. However, it's even more specific than okay. Originally thinking does not go along with uh, health. Implica- to me, implication is not like necessarily the real reason why we should do it. It's like wh- why people think we should do it, which is a very different concept. Implication as in consequence. Uh, I don't know. Okay. My brain's dead. That's okay. <laughs> no one could steal, but Molly, you thought you... Is it the, is it the idea of One Health? No, it no. Okay. Nope. I was gonna right. say yeah, that's so general. You, I was like, that's like even more vague than what I as said. As general okay. or as vague as we think. But mm-hmm. the the biggest reason is risk of disease increases in the form specifically of Hanta and West Nile virus. So you're absolutely correct with the fact that biodiversity is directly le- linked to our own health. However, there are so many mosquito-borne illnesses and there are so many animals and plants that eat and maintain and manage the population of mosquitoes. Mm -hmm. Without that biodiversity, that mosquito-borne disease severely increases and will now impact the entire world on a much larger scale and can really like just wipe out humanity. I was going to say, we could destroy everything but mosquitoes, like, because they feed on us, specifically. That's interesting. Wow. And terrifying. Thank you for that. (laughs) Thanks. That was mine, so it's Molly's turn. Okay. Keep going in circles. Um, I'm going to clear out the attempts at survival category, even though it's probably about plants. What animal is considered to be immortal? Oh, God, I know this. Hold on. Okay. I think it's a fish. What? I could be fish? wrong. It's fish from the fish? Arctic. No, no, it's a fish. It's from the Arctic. I could be totally wrong, too, and you're just... <sighs> Evil laughter. Yeah. It's, it's an Arctic, north, northern Arctic fish. I could be wrong. That's all I got. I don't know the that's species. That's all you got. Okay. Yep, that's all I got. Um... It is not. In no. The, it is not an ichthy. No fish? Okay, not a fish. specifically say it is not an ichthy. Sam. But in terms of animal, like one specific. It is a specific species. animal. But, but the one, like, not like, oh, we can't kill out this whole group, this whole species. It's just like one single animal is cannot I mean, the be, quote. species quote, is all genetically... So like <laughs> it's it's what I said. It's what there's an animal, a species of animal that without outside influence would never die. Um, I could I it might be wrong. It's and not, I don't want to even say it's not an ocean 
creature. Um, maybe uh, like a some some plankton, some Arctic plankton. It is not plankton. Zach. The correct answer is lobster. Oh! Yes. You're so confident in that. Yes. That is incorrect. What? All right. I know know you did. How close was I? Is it a shark? Because sharks aren't icky. It is a jellyfish. Oh, a jellyfish. Okay. The immortal jellyfish, Keratopsis dorni. And how jellyfish grow is they start out in a polyp stage. And then as they age, become a medusa. So the the top is the bubble with all the tentacles. So, so... Before, As, before you finish, okay. jellyfish are plankton. Okay. They are plankton. Okay, I guess you're correct. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Good job, jellyfish, plankton, plankton is defined as something that cannot swim against a current, and jellyfish oh, cannot swim against a current. There you go. So, Sam, you are technically correct. Thank you, Molly. Keeping me you're honest welcome. here. <laughs> that means I get something, right? There you go. So this... This jellyfish, when it gets injured, reverts to its polyp stage and produces a geni- genetically identical clone. So one organism lives forever. Even if it's injured, it'll just get its genes right back. Wait, so by cool. that definition, then any, any um, parthenogenic animal would also be considered immortal. But it's not like... Um, this does not do budding. Okay. It is without going (laughs) into the in-depth science of it, Mm -hmm. it's reverting time. Okay. Interesting. So it reverts to its own polyp stage. Okay. Very neat. Okay. So it is this very specific jellyfish, the Turidopsis donnery. I'll spell it for people who want to do some Research onto this little yeah, guy. Yeah, I want to look it up. P-U-R-R-I-T-O-P-S-I-S. Turdopsis. Dorni. D-O-H-R-N-I-I. They are super cool. All right, but Sam, Molly is saying you get the points. Yep, they're plankton. The are attri- they are attributed. Sam, there oh. we go. Okay. Rocks for 300. All right. Some creatures need to eat rocks in order to aid in digestion. What are these rocks that they eat called? A, rubidium. B, gastrogeological formations. C, gastroliths. Or D, gastronomical minerals. Gastronomical minerals is my guess. That is incorrect. That. Oh, man. Um, well, then I know the answer. The uh, gastroliths. That is correct. Really? Good job. They I thought that was. Gastroliths. I thought gastroliths were a fossil that was like hard, either like hard, hardened digestive parts. It's not always the same thing. I mean, maybe that is also a name for... Because that's I. That's what I thought. It, like, basically, it's like fossilized poop was what I thought gastroliths were. 
that could also be it, but they are like a chicken who eats rocks to go in their crop or their gizzard mm -hmm. that like crumbles. Yeah. So these are, these are rocks that animals who don't have teeth ingest mm. so that they can grind their meal up for easier digestion. Cool. The name of what they What is rubidium? Is that what's in a cow's stomach? Rubidium is a mineral on the periodic table. Oh, okay. What, what is Rumen. Rumen, that's it. I knew it sounded it sounded similar. It triggered my brain. To look yeah. look up gastroliths because I am like pretty certain that is what I learned in my geology classes. I just looked it up. It's know. it's crop. It's what they put in their crop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, good job, Zach. That was nice. three hundred. Thank you. Thank you. You are not. You are really far away. Just kidding. <laughs> You're not as really far away on the board. Uh, no, you can yeah, get there. I mean, Hail Mary and close and cellulose for 400. All right. How many species of vascular plants are there, roughly, this is not exact, discovered by scientists? Ugh. A, 250,000. B, 391,000. C, 500,000. Or D, 623,000. 500,000. That is incorrect. Molly. Um, six hundred twenty-three thousand. That is also not correct. Sorry, I was still stuck on gastrolith, and I <laughs> found out what I was thinking of. So it's okay. How many species? Three hundred ninety-one thousand. That is correct. I knew it was Although, one of the weird, the two weird numbers. Yep. Yeah. And I went high I instead of low another weird number because otherwise I was like they're gonna know it right away mm -hmm. um, however it is thought that there are many more undiscovered by scientists I was gonna say what defines a vascular plant for us animal nerds who don't know anything for about you plants animal nerds, it is yeah. a plant that has a vascular system okay there are plants that do not have vascular systems um those are called non-vascular plants oh thanks Zach you know like <laughs> Uh, lumping plants together, what would be a vascular and what wouldn't be? Uh, trees are vascular plants. Yes. Uh, something like a flower would not be a, va a vascular plant. That is vascular too. Yes. Uh, what about moss? No, that's correct. Mom. Moss are so non vascular. Moss is, okay. Um, think you are quote unquote modern plants versus your prehistoric plants, and 94% of these plants these vascular plants are most likely flowers cool so lots of flowers out there mm -hmm. all right what? Yeah. oh yeah i did stole <laughs> the points there yeah. i'm still i'm still on the fossilized poop sorry by the way it's <laughs> cop uh coprolite co uh why can't i pronounce it now uh coprolite is fossilized poop all right i learned i didn't know that my husband's going to listen to this later and be so disappointed. I didn't know that jellyfish one. It's okay. I'm going to get disowned. <laughs> Divorce. It's mm -hmm. okay. Divorce. I'm ashamed of myself that I didn't know or remember that jellyfish and plankton are. Yeah. How dare well, that's, that's you? That's, that's, a really weird, that's a weird fact because most people think that like plankton means a microbial thing but that's it means something that can't swim against the current it means something totally different just mm -hmm. pretend that i don't have a background in marine bio we'll just oh, no, you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh no by definition i'm also a plankton 
Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Uh, I want we're all in this together for 200. All right. Oh, that's 100. Close. Cheater, cheater. I didn't see anything. (laughs) What group of animals, if they went extinct, is said or believed to have the most significant impact on human survival? A, earthworms. B, freshwater macroinvertebrates. C, carrion eating birds. Or D, bees. Hmm. I, I don't know. And I'm ashamed I don't know. I'm going to guess bees. Like the letter B or? No. <laughs> bees. Bees. Or, bees. Yes. D. D. That is correct. It is D. Okay. It was definitely not carrying eating birds. No offense to the California condor, but they're not impacting her survival very much. (laughs) So it is bees. Over 70% of our food resources comes directly from pollination. Bees providing a majority of that as opposed to like hummingbird pollination or bat pollination. If you like coffee, if you like chocolate, granted those aren't necessary to our survival, one might argue maybe, Hmm. Um, but think of the most common of our foods are Hmm. reliant on bees. The level of addicted that I am to caffeine, it is necessary for my survival. Right. Right, I mean, the grains that they pollinate go into a lot of things that people don't think of. Right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. If we think of one of our standard meals, just an average meal, how many of those are sandwiches that include the grains mm-hmm. or random vegetables that we don't think about, or you eat mm-hmm. cereal for breakfast? Yeah, grains. Yep. Yeah. The gluten-free people would do probably the best, I would think. <laughs> yep. Yeah. They would have less grains. Yep. <laughs> well. There'd be less gluten-free stuff to go around, though, so. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, eventually yeah. they'd kill each other out, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd have to eat gluten-free stuff, too, you know? <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. all true. We could be true. vegans. Yep. Post-apocalyptic book series about a world without bees. Everyone's fighting over gluten-free foods in the grocery store. I'm pretty awesome. sure that, that was... book actually exists about a, a post-apocalyptic world due to a extinction of bees. I'm not sure, <laughs> though, but I think you need to know. It before. It I think like it probably it. does. It should. Yeah. Okay, so Sam. I will finish out the rocks for 200. Right. Get it, girl. I love Many states have a state flower, a state bird, or a state insect. Pennsylvania's state insect is the Culeo firefly. <laughs> What is the Pennsylvania state soil? A, clay, B, hazelton, C, burks, or D, bedrock? I can't believe I did not learn this in school. I have no idea, but it's so, I didn't know we had one. That's so awesome. (laughs) I didn't know be the state fossil. I know that one. Nope, not a state fossil. I didn't know we had one of those either. We have like a state everything. Yeah, I was going to say, it doesn't surprise me. I just didn't know it existed. What's throwing me off is two of these are like what would come to me as like a rock formation name because they're often named after places. And then two of them are this these 
gen- most generic <laughs> soil things ever. <laughs> but but um, it's the government that's picking these, so yes, I know, <laughs> which is why I'm going. <laughs> which is disturbing with my answer, I feel like. <laughs> but um, made, uh, Burks? It is not Burks. Ooh. That, that would have been my guess, yeah. too. I really think it's Hazleton. Um, it if it's Hazleton. So I'm going to say Hazleton. That is correct. Hey. Uh, oh, it is Hazleton. Hey. Sorry, Sam. Definitely not like you. My second guess was Hazleton. Clay. I had some soil classes in college. Oh, you learned about you stupid environmental science. I had two of them, heads. but I did not <laughs> learn this. I need to hit my soils professor up. These darn environmental science majors <laughs> ruining my life. <laughs> <laughs> so state soils are typically named after the area that is, like you were saying, Sam, that has this prevalent a formation or rock type. Hazelton is the most prevalent soil in Pennsylvania. So that is why Burks is the second most prevalent one. Hazelton covers 1.5 million acres uh, soil-wise and can be found in 34 counties in Pennsylvania. This soil type is characterized by sandstone ridges that have really good drainage with the many rocks that dot a sandy loam. The roughed grouse, black cherry, these are all very, well, supposedly common Pennsylvania things. Rough grouse is our state bird. However, Should have been not super common here anymore, but they all rely on this specific type of soil. Either the black cherry grows from this nutritious, well-drained soil, or the ruffed grouse is a ground nesting bird that prefers these types of soil. So when we think of, oh, PA with our really rocky soil, it is a Hazelton soil. Cool. All right, so that was 200. And Zach stole it? Absolutely, I did. Well All done. Right, but that's the thousand Sam's... threshold. Yay, good job, Zach. I know. Zach <laughs> finally <laughs> broke a thousand. I did it, everybody. And it's your Mom. turn again. Molly and Sam broke 2,000, but it's fine. Oh, just you wait, man. All right, it's Zach. your turn. Could not win this if I tried. We're going to go in close. Ah, uh, you know, we're all in this together for 100. Okay. Yeah. Trees are not the world's primary producer of oxygen. What is? I really want to say it's plankton. Do you need more specific than that? No, I don't. <laughs> that was it. it you bastard. Oceanic phytoplankton. <laughs> 100 Damn this it. is the 100 level this is the jellyfish oh my gosh it's jellyfish <laughs> phytoplank- the same way jellyfish are not a phytoplankton all right oh, okay i'm getting shown up yeah. my jokes are not landing <laughs> not a phytoplankton get out of here <laughs> with your plant and environmental knowledge mm-hmm. all right molly curses all right uh i'll do i'll do 200 all right what is the largest sized flower in the world so not the biggest population but physically what flower is the what flower is the biggest yes not how big it is i mean if you know how big it is i don't i don't know either i don't know either but uh we've we've about to guess real hard um flower largest flower 
I don't know. I'll just say the biggest one I've ever seen was uh, the flower from an elephant ear plant. Elephant ears are really big, mm -hmm. but that is not correct. Yeah, I know it's not right. That's Thanks. all I got. like something in my brain but it's not coming out and so I'm just imagining this huge hibiscus flower like a massively huge one hibiscus are very large very open petals but that is not correct come on plant guy take the us home it's the carrion flower is that uh I, that's the other thing I was picturing the one that looks like a mushroom right um I don't particularly think it looks like a mushroom. Maybe like it's got red. It's red with white spots, right? It is red with white okay. spots. Okay, Zach, do you know a different name for it? I mean, maybe that's a a common name for it, but I do not think that is the common name. Okay, this is the problem with common names. Is see, you could be calling Siberian elms and Austrian elms and Chinese elms all the same thing, but you don't know the same thing because they have different common names. That's a very bad example because they're not all the same plant. This is why you should be mm. using Latin names. Mm -hmm. uh, my vamping oh. first sounds like she found her answer. I did find my answer. A carrion flower is a specific common name. And that is incorrect. Oh. However, <laughs> it's not the thing. However, I just looked up. It's I not the thing I was the confusion picturing. came from. And I would not be surprised if you saw the picture, if you'd be like, that's what I meant without realizing that a carrion flower is not the same as this one. Yeah, let's go with that. That's no, that's I oh. you said carrion flower. I pictured what the right answer is, but that's not I just looked it up and that's not what it is called. Well, what it's called. Molly, you would get to steal, but now you looked it up, so I'm gonna. No, I looked up what a carrion flower was. Oh, that's not it. That's not what I was picturing. That is not what you were picturing. You it's were picturing the one that looks like a mushroom. I, um, I it's let me guess what it's called. Let me guess what. Oh, let me guess what it's called. Uh, corpse, a corpse flower, a corpse flower. That's what it's called. Carrion flower and a corpse flower are the same thing. They are. They are. What? I know where this confusion is coming from because of the smell of this plant. Yeah. It is not a carrion or a quartz flower. Oh, no. What's it called? All right. Is Wasn't that... it? Uh, this was my question anyway. I can't steal it. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, all right. Sam, did this, you guess We, we already went full circle. Yeah, we already yeah, went okay, around. We already went around and once more. <laughs> it is called the monster flower or rafflesia. Rafflesia. As Zach said, Latin is very important. The Latin names here. Rafflesia is the scientific name for it. Molly, you are correct. It is a humongous, large, like reddish pink flower with white spots because that mimics what we would think dead meat is. So it is like pollinated by gross stuff. It is about three feet in diameter or a meter in diameter. So very, very large when you think of most flowers being the size of our fist or smaller. Last question. What is the chemical formula for photosynthesis? I'm sure there's oxygen and carbon and uh, lots of other good elements in there. There um, are. And I don't know them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Zach. How was this a 100 level question? Because it was like. Because I know the answer. This was. And you're, you're next, so go for it. Like, 
right. elementary school science. All right. Yeah, I don't know. I remember either. the formula. I don't know CO2 what either. plus H2O plus sunlight yields uh, O2 plus C6H12O6 or sugars. And I'll water vapor. Water. There you go. Water is a byproduct. Yes. Transpiration, so, baby. Yeah. So Zach gets <laughs> that 100 points. Clean up, Zach. <laughs> there we go. Oh, man. 1,500 points. More than 1,500. So many. Oh. oh, also, Zach should get those points for the corpse flower thing. The carrion flower. Wait, why? What? Because <laughs> they're the common name, carrion flower, covers at least five or six genuses of flower the second of which is raffalisa because they all are so stupid this is why latin names are important totally Mm -hmm. deserves those points Mm -hmm. i agree uh, they they do it says that um it's any flower that is mimetic in odor and and appearance to rotting flesh is referred to as a court as a carrion flower And, oh, and it has, and it has a, and it usually has something that looks like an orifice on it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, there we go. I had the people have spoken. Mm-hmm. I have given Zach his carrion flower mm-hmm. points. I'll take them. Which puts Molly in first place Woo! with two thousand one hundred and fifty. Barely, though. Sam, barely. In second place with a close 2,114. Zach with 1,534. Oh, that's so many points. Mm-hmm. What do I win? What do you, my undying love. Yes. 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 Suck it, Zach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely not my husband. <laughs> you uh, roll everything with advantage in our next uh, D&D session. Oh, please, can that be it? <laughs> <laughs> If Sam played D&D with us, maybe, then it would be fair. I want to play, but I have no (laughs) friends down here. Uh, But thank you so much Mm -hmm. for playing this little game. It was really fun to think of random questions. And now I know for season two finale to require Latin names, since that's where (laughs) a lot of our issues came from. Yep. So, yeah. Yep. Common names. That's why, that's why common scientists don't use them we all hope that you have enjoyed season one of for what it's earth thank you so much for digging deeper into the natural world with the art of ecology and these amazing guests who might all have my undying love before we go though do any of you have any shout outs or things to plug uh you know marissa told me there was going to be an opportunity for shout outs and i racked my brain at the beginning of the session really hard to think of a good one and then i completely forgot about it once points were online uh so i'm gonna shout out um nk jemison she's a really cool author all right it's fiction nothing to do with anything we talked about but uh really good really good books i found that b book after bees is what it's called straight up we should have a book club episode next uh, next podcast season. Um, if you guys ever want to chat about uh, wildlife or reptiles or amphibians um, or captive reptiles and amphibians and their care, um, you can hit me up at uh, Fairy Tale Cresties on Facebook. So for those who had listened to the episode where Molly guested, she talked a little bit about those as well. But mm-hmm. I will 
put all of these links in the description too. Mm -hmm. So for anyone that's in school right now, the NOAA uh, Ernest F. Undergraduate Hollings Scholarship time is open. It's an amazing opportunity where they you get a stipend paid for two year, your last two years of school. So you apply at the during your sophomore year. Awards go out in April, and then you get to go to NOAA headquarters in Silver Spring, Maryland. And you get a week-long orientation where you get to meet a lot of different people at NOAA. And, and they, they can be from any, any aspect of science. I mean, I was there as an environmental science major. There were actually, there were math majors there. Um, obviously, meteorology and geology, all, everything you can apply. And then the second summer, you get a, an internship at a NOAA facility. So I interned for the Chesapeake Bay National Estuarine Research Reserve as an environmental educator for the summer. And it it was such an incredible opportunity. It sounds like it. Yeah. Go and apply. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Um, If you, the listeners, enjoyed this week's episode, please support, review, and continue to follow along Obviously, this is the last episode of this season, but I will be starting back up again in mid-January, so follow along then. Get your friends in on this. Please support Review for What It's Earth can be found on many podcast streaming platforms. For more tips and eco-inspiration, you can check out my blog at www.theartofecology.com. I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at The Art of Ecology. And with that, we will all see you next year in mid-January 2022. Happy holidays, everyone.